0: You're listening to the Covenant Original Podcast. Each family has its own dynamics, but can you imagine if your brother was God? In this teaching, we'll be discussing the life and validity of Jesus through the lens of his brother and author, James. Well, I'm glad that you are here today. Let's just jump right in. I'm going to ask if you would to turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 3. As you turn in there, I want to kind of um, propose a situation to you. I want you to imagine. Uh, for one moment that you are eating dinner with your family, in walks your older brother, sits down at the table, and as you are scooping out potatoes or your mac and cheese or whatever it is that your mama has made for that night, your older brother looks at you and says, hey, I got some news. And you say, yes, what's that? And he says, I'm the son of God. <laughs> uh, I'm the Messiah. You know, the one that the prophecies have told about for thousands of years. That's me. How would you react? Most likely you'd laugh. But upon discovering that your older brother was being serious, you would quickly become concerned. <laughs> Am I right? Yes? You would think, okay, he's finally actually lost it. Um, we need to get some medical attention. Clearly, something is not working correctly upstairs. And yet, this is the scenario in which we find Jesus in his, and his family in. And James has an evolutionary perspective on Jesus. He starts out with one perspective of Jesus, his older brother, and he ends with a different one. And I really want us to watch this evolution that James has. And we're going to see this and where John, oh, James starts out in chapter 3, verse 21 of Mark. And by the way, let's just put this in context. Where this is in context of Scripture is that Jesus has just announced his ministry. Jesus has just announced that he is the son of God, the Messiah, the, the chosen one, the one sent from heaven, come to take on the sins of the world. He's chosen his 12 disciples, and he is now healing and teaching and doing miracles, performing these things. That's the context in which we pick up Mark chapter 3. Look at this in verse 21. It says this, And when Jesus' family heard Jesus' message, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, read this with me, He is out of his mind. Jesus' family thought that Jesus was nuts. (laughs) Jesus' family, when Jesus first started proclaiming the message of the gospel, thought that he was crazy. Look what it says in verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, said to Jesus, Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Now get this, Jesus is teaching and, and preaching and healing and establishing his ministry, and James and the rest of Jesus' family went out to get him because they thought Jesus is not who he says he is. James's first reaction to Jesus Christ is that Jesus is not who he claims to be. And how could he be? You're telling me my brother is the son of God? You're telling me that the guy I grew up with, uh, the same Jesus that slept down the hall, the same Jesus I wrestled with, uh, the same Jesus I've done life, you're telling me he is the savior of all humanity, the redeemer of our world? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. And listen, before you vilify James, don't play. You'd be the same way if your older brother came and said, Hey, I'm the Messiah. You would react the same way. You you would be the exact same way. Put yourself in James's shoes. Now, James next, he had a second emotion, kind of quickly. James's second emotion, the evolution of James, is one of offense. At first, it was disbelief or unbelief. Number two, James had uh, a reaction of offense. Look at Mark chapter 6. It says, and Jesus came to his hometown. By the way, Uh, This is kind of a big deal. Jesus returning back to his place of origin, his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Jesus isn't just showing up on his own. He's now rolling in with his crew, his guys. And it says, on the Sabbath day, Jesus began to teach in the synagogues. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. By the way, that Judas and that Simon, different Judases and Simons than the disciples, by the way. And are not his sisters here with us. And they took, what's that word say nice and loud? They took what? They took offense to Jesus' teachings. They took offense to Jesus. So his mom, his brothers, his sisters, his own family took offense at what he was saying, and look at what notice, notice what Jesus says in verse four. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. The second emotion that James had towards Jesus, his big brother, was that of offense. In fact, James says, Jesus offends me. Jesus offends me. Not only is Jesus not who he claims to be, not only is Jesus not who he says he is, he also offends me. James and the rest of Jesus' family, his mother, his, his brothers, his sisters, they were offended by some of the things that Jesus was going around and saying. And let me reiterate this, rightfully so. Rightfully so. Let me ask you, has Jesus not offended you with the words that he says at times? Have the teachings of Christ not offended you at the core? Now imagine being his brother, Imagine being the brother of Jesus Christ and hearing Jesus say, unless you hate your mother, father, sisters, and brother, you can have no part of me. Now, we know that that teaching means our love in comparison to God should be like hatred for others. We should love God so much on such a different level that our love for other people would be be viewed as almost hatred. But to James, that's offensive. Oh, you hate mom? You hate dad? You hate our brothers and our sisters? You hate me? For James, he would have been offended. For James, to hear a message where Jesus says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. Unless you place me center of your life, unless you sell all that you have and follow me, unless you crucify your flesh, unless you pick up all these things, would have been offensive to James. And what's more, Jesus, Jesus claimed to be a prophet. In fact, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus claimed to be greater than Moses. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but that's probably because you're not Jewish. In the Jewish community, Moses was the stuff. Moses was the man. Moses was the hero that we all wanted to be. Moses was the hero that we all grew about hearing of. He's the one who brought the people, the nation of Israel, out of captivity, out of slavery, led them through the desert, split the sea, swallowed up the enemy, took them to the promised lands. Moses. And yet Jesus comes out and says, hey, I'm a prophet. In fact, I'm the greatest prophet. I'm bigger than Moses. (laughs) I mean, seriously? James is so offended. His family is so upset. And Jesus, I have to imagine is lonely. Now think about this now. Jesus isn't welcome in his hometown. You can keep on reading. They chase him out of town to the edge of a cliff where he just escapes them, slips out of their presence, it says. They want him gone. He's not welcome even in his own home when he talks about being the Messiah. Jesus is is feeling a little alone. I mean, he says this. He said, I'm respected by everyone except my family. I'm listened to by everyone except my family. By the way, how many of you can relate to Jesus here? How many of you feel accepted by everyone else except your own family? How many of you feel supported by everyone else except your own family. I mean, you're out there trying to hustle. You're out there trying to live out your purpose. You're out there trying to, to be the man, the woman that Jesus Christ has created you to be. You've got a vision. You're going after it, and yet your family isn't there for you. Your family isn't even there for you. I hope you can find peace in the story of Jesus, and knowing that even while Jesus was out performing miracles Even while Jesus was out preaching the gospel, even while Jesus was out walking around on water and raising the dead and and healing people, his family did not support him. He did not have the same support that he needed from his family. Jesus had to be lonely. He knew his days were numbered. He knew that his death was coming, and yet he didn't have the support of his own family. How many of you know that sometimes your family are the last people to see you for who you've become because they can't let go of who you were? Hmm? Now, come on. Now, Jesus never sinned, but they still had a tough time letting go of Jesus the brother and accepting him as Jesus the God. Can you imagine? I mean, I know we talk about, you know, we're coming out of Christmas, and Mary, did you know, with this beautiful thing, you know, but even Mary, who had this incredible encounter with, with this angel, and and it was a virgin, and gave birth to, to Jesus Christ, even Mary has a tough time with Jesus being the Messiah. Have you recognized that? It says that Mary goes out to him, his mother. Why? It's because, think about it from Mary's perspective. You're telling me, this baby that I changed the diaper of is now the son of God? This baby that I've held is he's been sick and had a fever, that, that baby is the savior of the world? From James' perspective, he's saying this, this kid that I grew up next to, what makes him so much better than me? What makes him better than Moses? That's arrogant. That's prideful. There's no way. I know him. Why? Because our family thinks that they know us in a way that maybe they don't. Maybe they don't, but they definitely are sometimes the last ones to see us for who we truly are. So even though Jesus had no sin, they had much difficulty. In fact, the book of John records some sarcasm from James and his brothers. Look at this in John chapter 7. It says, Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. By the way, if you didn't know this, the Jews have a lot of, the Jewish community have a lot of festivals and feasts all representing different things. It's fascinating, it's beautiful. This happens to be one of those festivities where everybody comes together and they celebrate their God in various ways and his faithfulness. And so Jesus' brother said to Jesus, "'Leave here, go to Judea, "'that your disciples also may see the works "'that you're doing. "'For no one works in secret "'if he seeks to be known openly.' If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, that on the nose might not sound like sarcasm, but what Jesus's brothers, James, is saying is, is, is like, hey, why are you here among your own people talking about being the Messiah? They're, like, if you are really the Messiah, go out there to other people who don't believe in you, people outside the tribe, people who wouldn't really accept you. If you're so great, if you really are who you say you are, they're saying this, James is saying, go prove it. Go prove it. Go do your works out there, not among people who are waiting for the Messiah. Go do your works out there. This passage clearly demonstrates the sarcasm that James had towards Jesus, the anger that James had towards his older brother, Jesus, the disbelief, the unbelief that James had towards his older brother, Jesus. And I want you to know, eventually Jesus does this very thing. Jesus does leave. He goes and he begins to preach and teach more, heal and raise the dead and perform miracles. And thousands come to to surround him and, and are being changed. And he's claiming to be the son of God. And then we know the story. He's betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples. Jesus is taken into captivity. He's tried. He's beaten. He's tortured. He's mocked. They make him carry his cross to the top of a hill or they nail his hands to this wood and they hoist him up, scripture says, naked and ripped open so that no man could recognize him. They crucify him and he dies. Can you imagine being Jesus's brother in that moment? What a roller coaster of emotions! Because, on one hand, nobody wants to see their brother beaten. Nobody wants to see their brother tortured. Nobody wants to see their brother crucified and murdered. Nobody. He didn't take joy in that. There's no way. But on the other hand, every thought that James had ever had had to feel so justified in that moment. Every thought that James had had about Jesus not being who he claimed to be was justified and validated in that moment. As James watched his brother, Jesus, being hoisted up into the air and the soldiers stabbing him in the side, blood running down his hands, the crowd jeering and cheering at him, saying, if you really are the king, if you really are God, pull yourself off the cross. Even the thieves hanging next to Jesus, saying, if you really are the son of God, Pull yourself down and get us down too. Watching Jesus struggling to take his last breath. Finally, gasping his last and dying. You would not have felt good, but you would have felt validated in thinking that, see, this was just a man. He wasn't a Messiah. He wasn't a God. It wasn't God's son. He died just like everyone else, and now he's gone, just as everyone else was gone. What a dark disturbing place James must have been in. But then something happened. Something happened. And what happened was so life-changing. So life altering, so significant, so important. That it changed everything about James's view of his big brother. And It changed the entire course of James's life. What that significant thing was is that James encountered the resurrected Jesus. It completely altered James's world. It completely altered James's life. He encountered Jesus after he resurrected from the grave. Look at this. It led James to say, Jesus is Lord Where once there was disbelief, where once there was unbelief, where once they thought Jesus was crazy, where once they went with their family to try to pull him back, now they say Jesus is Lord. Listen to how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. It says this For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Come on, church. Are we alive today? that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day and according to the scriptures. Now get this, I love, I love that Paul includes this. Look at this. He says, and then Jesus, after post-resurrection, Jesus appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then verse seven, look, it says, then he appeared to james then jesus appeared to james can you just for a minute put yourself in james's shoes what must that moment have been like what would have been like three days after you saw your brother tortured beaten bloodied bruised crucified killed you saw him taken off the cross As a Jew, they have the tradition of stuffing the body, the dead body, with with spices and herbs and basically potpourri. And then putting them in, wrapping them like a mummy and sticking them into a tomb, rolling a rock there so that the the decaying body doesn't smell. You saw that happen. And three days later, you open your door and in front of you is your brother. Can you imagine that moment for James? Can you imagine that moment for Jesus, the big brother? What did Jesus say? Now, I've got a little brother. I know what I would have said. I told you, man! I told you! Then I would have shoved him and run away. That's what I would have done. Jesus didn't do that. Maybe he did. Scripture doesn't record that. But it does go on, right, to record something amazing. Because wherever James was on the continuum of faith with Jesus at this point, this is where, listen to me now, listen, this is where it all flipped. This is where it all changed. James is in at this point. He is bought in. He is sold out. It's at this point that he gives his life to Jesus, not serving him as his brother, but now serving him as his God. It's at this point that he becomes one of the greatest church leaders in the early formation of the church. It's, th- it's at this point that he goes on to become an author and pen one of the most influential books in all of Scripture about Jesus. It's at this point that he goes on to be go, to go and be killed, martyred for Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I believe that it leads John to write one of the most, in my opinion, credible Validating verses about Jesus being who Jesus said he was. James 1 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James didn't believe in Jesus, didn't worship Jesus, didn't agree with what Jesus was teaching. Didn't, didn't believe at all. And then, and then he did. And then he did. He went from trying to get his brother to stop saying what he was saying to saying the exact same things. He, he he went from from trying to to pull his brother back because he was an embarrassment to hoisting his brother up because he knew he's the only savior for the Lord. What was the catalyst in James's life? The catalyst was this. James encountered, had an experience with the risen Jesus Christ. That is the catalyst in James's. Life, and for those of you who would disagree with the testimony of the historical record of Scripture, the burden of proof is on you. The burden of proof is on you. How else can you account for the radical transformation in James's life, Jesus's brother? If if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then how come, why in the world would he have become a preacher of the gospel? If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, why would James have given his life for his son, for, for Jesus Christ, God's own son, Why would he become a a pastor in the early church movement? Why would he be giving his life and his all to this thing? You say, well, he just wanted to, he didn't want to make Jesus, his brother, look bad. He spent his whole life speaking against Jesus. And all of a sudden, he didn't. He evolved in his perspective of Jesus. And I believe that the evolution of James is the evolution of us all. The evolution of James is the evolution of us for many of you you have great difficulty but the believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be for some of you maybe listening and watching this morning you have great difficulty believing that Jesus is the way the truth the life the only way the only truth the only life you have a difficult you have a difficulty believing that Jesus Christ is the messiah and it offends you when he claims to be the son of god doesn't it for some of us it offends us to to hear Jesus say that nobody gets to the Father except through him. It offends us when he makes claims that he is all-powerful, that there is no one else like him, that he is the king, that he has conquered sin in the grave. It offends us It offends us. And so because of your unbelief and your offense, you have discounted Jesus Christ. But listen to me this morning. Listen, but if you just for one moment could look past what Jesus said in his life and look at what he did, what he did will bring credibility to everything he said. Because what he did was the one thing that no one else can do. What he did was the one thing that all these other would-be, wannabe messiahs could never do. He got up from the grave. He rose from the dead. What Jesus did was resurrected. which validated every single thing and changed the whole life in the trajectory of James. Everything. Think about it. Jesus' words never changed James. Never. Jesus rising from the grave changed his life and then validated his words. Validated his words. You ever been in a place where sometimes you're with somebody and they got to take action for you to believe their words? See, what separates Jesus from all the other would-be messiahs is he's more than just talk. There's a lot of wannabes. There's a lot of wannabe saviors. There's a lot of people who claim to have a truth or have a, have a new truth or some greatest thing. But something shifted in the resurrection. Something changed in the resurrection of Jesus. And what changed in the resurrection of, of Christ was not the power of Jesus. I wanna make that clear. Jesus was always God, amen? Jesus was always all-powerful, omnipotent. Jesus was always God. So what changed wasn't Jesus, It wasn't Jesus's power. It was the power of sin. What changed in the resurrection? Because as Jesus came back to life, he not only conquered death. He not only conquered the grave. Come on. Jesus also conquered sin altogether. And so what changed post-resurrection was not Jesus's power over sin, but sin's power over us. What changed in the resurrection, come on, church, that is really, 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 really good and it's not bad preaching either. What changed in the resurrection was not Jesus's power over sin, but sin's power over us. I love how 1 Corinthians puts it. It says, when he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory over sin and death. And I want you to know the only reason that we can have any victory in any area of our life is because of the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. That's it. The only reason you have hope is because of the resurrection of Christ. The only reason you can know truth is because of the resurrection of Christ. The only way, the only reason that we can know God is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not his words, not his miracles, not his teachings, but his action and the action of getting up out of the grave. And scripture says that the same power, the same spirit, raised Jesus Christ from the grave, now lives in us. I wonder, I wonder, do you have that same spirit? Do you have that same spirit today? Have you experienced the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ? See, here's what I know. We could spend the next year having some good teaching, having some good preaching, going deeper, whatever that means. And our small, we're going deeper. I'm take, take me deeper. But if you have never experienced the real resurrecting power of Jesus, you're just reading words. If you've ever had people pray over you, yes, there's power in it. But if you've never experienced the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ, the same spirit that lived in Christ is not living in you. And you need that spirit. You need that presence. You need that power. Jesus did what no other spiritual guru could ever do. Jesus did whatever what, what no other motivational teacher could ever claim. He got himself up from the grave. He got himself up from the grave and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. See what's amazing about Jesus is that he came into a hostile environment with love. You know, scripture says it's one thing to, to die for somebody who you love who, who loves you. It's another thing to give your life for somebody who hates you. And scripture says that God sent Jesus to us to die for us, to forgive us. Even while we were in the midst of sinning, he demonstrated his love for us. That while we were yet sinning, God sent his son Jesus for us. Do you know this Jesus? Do you have this spirit? See, some of us know about the spirit. Some of us know about Jesus. We could tell you every Bible verse, every Bible story. We, we grew up in church. But you feel empty. You feel, you feel hopeless at times. You're depressed. You're anxious. You're overwhelmed. And you wonder, why is this? I know all the words. I know all the stories. You can know all the stories and all the words. But if you don't know the man, then you are missing the presence. And so may this be a day where you invite the resurrected Jesus Christ into you. This is a day of resurrection. You say, I thought that resurrection happened before. Oh, oh it did. But Jesus is in in the business of raising the dead to to life. Because when you give your heart to Jesus, when you have an encounter and you say, Jesus, I will live for you. Jesus, I forsake everything else and I follow you. I pick up my cross. I follow you. Is it going to be difficult? Yes, it's going to be the hardest thing you have ever done in your life. But in that moment, you are stepping from death to life. Today is the day of your resurrection. Today, scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Do not go into a new year with, all, with last year's mentality. Do not spend another year chasing after signs, miracles, and wonders, missing Jesus. Stop looking for good words to encourage you. Stop waiting on a miracle to pull you out. Stop waiting on somebody's teaching to give you new perspective. Instead, encounter the risen Savior because that's the only thing that can change you. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that can change you. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.